Welcome to Scheduled for Two Falls with Kieran and Niall, the wrestling podcast where we break down the industry one topic at a time. Welcome back to Schedule for Two Falls. Two Falls. Hello, Kieran. Hi, how was your week? Yeah, very good week. Very good week. Talk to me. What? How's the, the kidney stones? I promised there. Kidney listeners. stones. Kidney stones are still there, unfortunately. Uh, I may have to take a little trip back to El Hospitalino. Okay. And uh, have them forcibly removed, perhaps. As God is my witness, you'll be broken in half now. You'll be broken in half. <laughs> um, very good. Well, best of luck with that. We won't, uh, we won't dwell on that too much. Um, Keep your points. How about last week? Uh, any feedback from last week's episode? That was the Ric Flair 92 yeah. one. I actually had a, a few people uh, get on to me saying they went back and watched some early 90s stuff. Um, <clears throat> right around the 92 and just went back and watched some old Ric Flair stuff and absolutely loved it. And I kind of, I think people agreed with us on how that kind of period for Ric Flair is a little bit underrated, perhaps. Yeah, well, definitely the Royal Rumble gets its, its uh, due credit. But yeah, the rest of it kind of yeah. goes under the radar, doesn't it? Uh, Connor had sent us a message just saying he never knew there were so many insider terms in wrestling. Uh, the importance of selling in wrestling being one of his favorites. And Ric Flair, obviously, last week, the king of selling. And... Uh, mm. And Niall sent a message saying, you mentioned house shows a lot uh, on the podcast. If someone won a title on a house show, was it legit? I think he mentioned the Hitman won one possibly against Flair on a house show. Like when Next TV yeah. event comes around, was Hitman then the champ? Uh, so Niall, they would usually, they'd usually only change champ at a house show for two reasons. Uh, they might urgently need the belt off somebody, say like a real life injury or a suspension or a dispute. Uh, or if they wanted to highlight that anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation and they wanted to sell more tickets, they might throw a few title changes onto a house show. So yeah, it would count, but often they mightn't have footage of the change. Well, back back in the 90s, they wouldn't have had footage, just a few photographs in WWF magazine. And then I suppose in rare cases, they'd change champs and then they might have second thoughts ahead of the next TV taping. And um, and then they mightn't even run with the title change. And actually, we'll go through that in, in one incident in our episode today. Uh, anything you'd like to add on that one, Niall? Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you believe, actually, uh, a friend of mine who doesn't <clears throat> watch wrestling ever, and he watched a stadium stampede match with me a couple of weeks ago, and he absolutely loved it. Uh, but he has listened to a few episodes of the podcast. And he, he said, what's this house show thing as well? What do we mean by house show? So I actually explained it to him. But I didn't think that, it, it, like, I, I actually meant to bring it up on here and just say like, mm. how shows are non-televised shows that uh, were the, where they made their primary money, but in recent years have become um, more of a secondary money maker or even sometimes a money loser. Uh, but they're just untelevised shows. And if if the ticket sales are down, then they'll, they'll throw in a title change. <clears throat> Very rare for a world title to be changed on a house show. 
But things like the US title, even uh, as recently, I think it's 2017, Edge Styles won the um, US title on a house show, stuff like that. They'll throw in the odd one like that to make it a little bit more unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, last one then, Matt uh, asked us, uh, he said, you might be sick of the early 90s stuff with the pod, but I love a tag title episode circa 1990 to 1992. So with that request on board, Niall, what are we talking about this week? This week, we are talking about the lineage of the WWF World Tag Team titles from 1989 to 1993. There you go, Matt. So we're not only taking your request on board, but we're adding an extra two years on top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which you was would. kind of a killer for us, really. Niall, by lineage, you mean we're only going to be discussing the actual title changes that occurred. So we're going to skip along. Correct any unsuccessful uh, title challenges. So it just should help us along the way. Like it kind of has to be that group of years to encapsulate that whole period of what we wanted to achieve, I think, didn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I think that this is really peak stuff for tag team wrestling and for certain people. Uh, It's a certain... It's certainly a style of tag team wrestling, but a lot of people would, would suggest it never gets better than this again. And uh, I, I think it was good to run it all the way to 93 because then you really see how things started to fade away a little bit for tag team wrestling. Um, yeah. So we're, we're, we, we begin, Niall, at WrestleMania 4. And uh, I guess we've chosen this because it is kind of a crossover era of the old, maybe Vince senior era kind of tag team style leading into the new Vince McMahon character-based wrestling company. So we're starting WrestleMania 4, and this is Demolition versus Strike Force. Great starting point. And and you're spot on when you say, like, this is the crossover from Vince Sr. to Vince Jr.'s, I suppose, vision of of wrestling. And it really was encapsulated by the tag team division in that time. Yeah. So Strike Force is model Rick Martel and Tito Santana, or Chico, as uh, Jesse the Body Ventura would call him. And the demolition is the original demolition. We're talking Axe and we're talking Smash. Uh, first thing I noticed in the pre match interview here is that Axe has the most gravelly voice in professional wrestling. <laughs> it's uh, outrageous. Yeah, it's, Even more so than Jake the Snake, 2020. Like. Oh, great. Makes for a good interview. Uh, the entrance itself. So the demolition are coming down here with Master Fuji. And Mr. Fuji himself would be a former five-time WWE tag team champion in the 70s and 80s with Professor Tanaka and Mr. Saito. So uh, quite a a fitting manager, uh, someone very experienced in tag team wrestling. I absolutely love this entrance. The Demolition song is pure quality, one of the best. Such a good team tune, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. It's great. And then, what about their um, their costumes? Uh, yeah, costumes are funny. Uh, I had made a note of it later on down the line about how they're essentially wearing gimp outfits, and it seems to, <laughs> yeah. it seems to be very over with the male audience. But it was incredibly over. It was yeah. nuts. But I suppose uh, I think they were probably going for um, like you know, I, there's a lot of people say that these were Vince's version of. Um, the Road Warriors, the NWA, which are probably more 
famously known in our part of the world as Legion of Doom. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people would say that uh, Demolition are Vince's version of them in the, in the late 80s. So that I suppose they were going with a post-apocalyptic Mad Max type vibe with them as well. Yeah. Uh, and it turned out to be kind of... Um, what was uh, the village people on steroids, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> uh, Strike Force would come out with one of the cheesiest entrances of all time. They're running down with the big f- baby face smiles running straight to the yeah. ring. Uh, so the absolutely match, awesome. Yeah, absolutely <clears throat> awesome. the match itself, pure smash mouth uh, match, just busting each other. Uh, hot comeback from Martel at the end, but then there's major, major shenanigans. Martel had smashing a Boston Crab. Fuji gets involved. The ref gets clobbered. Fuji clobbered. A cane thrown in. Ref took a major bump. One, two, three. Now, I've, I've summarized that match. It was actually a 12 minutes, 33 match. But uh, did you find anything that you'd like to discuss in that match more? <laughs> um, you know, like, I thought Tito, Tito and Rick Santana, or Tito Santana and Rick Martel were actually an awesome tag team. Um, you know, Rick Martel is obviously more famously known for his later heel gimmick of the model. But here, I, I thought he was a great baby face. Toss Santana was a great baby face. Uh, Fuji, great manager. Absolutely great manager, I thought. Yeah. Um, and Demolition, I couldn't get over how massive they were. It physically. <clears throat> physically, they were huge. Yeah, they're big. They're big boys. Acts like, and they're, they're not, you know, they're not Vince McMahon-desired uh, model, build, bodybuilder-esque uh, build. You know, they're, they're just big guys, big... Yeah, big chunky dudes, like the size of their legs and everything compared to Santana and Martel, you know. Uh, I think it was uh, Smash at one stage was in the ring and his uh, quads looked to be the size of Tito Santana's chest. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of my takeaway from that match. Nothing <laughs> spectacular, but it was not a terrible match by any means. So the Demolition win the tag titles, and that's going to begin our episode really from here. Uh, I'm going to take us to 478 days later, Saturday night's main event versus the Brain Busters. 478 days because that's how long the Demolition held the tag titles for King and would hold a record for a couple of decades after that. They're going to be up against the Brain Busters. And this one is scheduled for two out of three falls. And the Brain, the brain Busters are Tully Blanchard and Aaron Anderson. Uh, what do you think of this match, Niall? This was my absolute favorite match this week. I loved it. Yeah, I suppose when Tully and Aaron are in the ring and Bobby Heenan is the manager, uh, yeah. you're, you're off to a pretty hot start. Everything about it, their costumes, Heenan's costume, pure old school wrestlers, like they're pro wrestlers. And they, they're kind of clash of style against the, as you said earlier, smash mouth style of... Um, Demolition was so awesome. Like, you know, there were, it's just, and I, I, you'll probably bring it up here now, but there's certainly somebody or a current team who Tully and Aaron are just like the prototype for, you know? Yeah, the, the revival, of course. But before we get that, it's funny, it, it's worth mentioning that Tully Blanchard and Aaron Anderson are both in AEW at the moment, uh, both managing current stars uh, in mm-hmm. Sean Spears and Cody Rhodes. And it's, it's kind of cool. Um, younger. Viewers mightn't get, I suppose, how how integral they were to wrestling in the late 80s. Tully, of course, being the number two heel to Ric Flair in the NWA for years. And then Tully and Aaron, Aaron the Enforcer, uh, being major uh, components of the Four Horsemen before they'd arrive here in the, w- in the WWF at the time. So the history here leading into the match is that a few weeks ago, Demolition and the Brainbusters uh, were were taking each other on. 
and the demolition got disqualified. Some might say that they were disqualified themselves on purpose, but hence the rematch uh, because no titles would change hands on a disqualification. Um, Note actually here, no Mr. Fuji already. So we're 478 days into this title reign, but Fuji is gone. He turned his back on the demolition to join the powers of pain, which led to a double turn and means that the demolition are coming into this match as the baby faces instead of the heels, mm-hmm. in what, which is what they were when they started this title run. Uh, Tully and Aaron got the, the jobber entrance. The camera come up, the two of them are waiting in the ring. And then... Um, Demolition gets superstar entrance and the crowd popped massively. But there was just some great work in this match. Like the intensity from Tully and Aaron was through the roof, and their heel work and the use of Bobby in the corner for most of the match was, I just thought, like really good uh, face versus heel old school pro wrestling tag match. The psychology of the match was just literally, to me, was perfect. Yeah, it's funny this is a two out of three falls, isn't it? Because we don't see two out of three falls too often, but we're going to see quite a few of them in this tag, yeah. tight, this tag team era. Um, I wasn't sure, was that something Vince brought in just to elongate the matches? I don't know. I think it's like a, like an old school thing. Like, like at one stage, all tag matches were two out of three falls, all tag title matches mm. um, for quite a long time. And then, you know, obviously by the 80s, that was gone. There was obviously one fall matches more and more common but I think it was like saved for kind of big blow-off matches in a sense even though this didn't turn out to be a, a big blow-off but uh, it was saved for kind of big occasions and we know like Saturday night's main event is uh, we, it's not remembered probably the way it should be as a, a TV show because that used to do incredible numbers mm. like when Hogan fought Andre and Saturday night's main event 33 million people watched it on live on US TV um, so th- there was a big fight feel to these Saturday night main event cards and this like you know tag title match on that is a, is a big deal or was a big deal back then for sure yeah so the match itself is a really good tag team wrestling loads of back and forth chain wrestling the brain busters like you said earlier they are essentially the mod- the, the, the revival's greatest influence you can really see yeah. the, the, the similarities between the two teams anyway it all leads up to Demolition win the first fall so they'd be one fall up the second fall Bobby Heenan takes a big bump and the fans go ballistic. They love to see Bobby fall, fall around the place. The demolition, yeah. <laughs> the demolition just start laying into the brain busters. So they're going super physical here with no care for the rules. And referee Joey Morella is not happy. The demolition easily get the pin after some double teamwork, but it's a DQ. Joey Morella says DQ on demolition, but it's great stuff. It's one apiece. And I suppose Joey is just following the rules. Demolition probably, they uh, overused their double teaming to the Brain Busters' uh, disadvantage. I, I thought the commentators did a, an excellent job in kind of keeping that clear for the audience. A DQ for uh, demolition rather than a pin. So like demolition are, are jumping around celebrating, thinking that they've... Um, They've won a match 2-0 mm. and, oh, and uh, the, the, the heels who are clearly beaten in front of us uh, get themselves together and absolute chaos ensues for the final fall. Yeah, so uh, Andre the Giant comes out. Uh, he's part of Bobby Heenan's Heenan family and he uh, comes out and sits around in a chair for a while but eventually he throw in the chair and Tully Blanchard catches it and what does he do to smash? Murders him. <laughs> It is the sick. It is such a sick chair shot. He leaves. It he, might, like, it might be the greatest chair shot of all time. 
he leaves him lying prone like it's it's sickening it's sickeningly realistic it's ex- like smash yeah. is just absolutely laid out and it hits him so hard it's so weird like, it's, re- it's a really weird chair shot you don't see them hitting them in that uh, trajectory as well no it's like you know uh, smash has the was it smash or smash smash is like pinning um uh aaron anderson and aaron anderson is in bits you know and heenan's up <laughs> distracting the ref and andre throws the chair in and tully comes down on the back of smash's head like you wouldn't believe uh aaron is able to crawl over from the pin like the the boys are gone off celebrating with their titles and smash is just not moving he's done yeah. he's gone yeah. he's gone but that's it the ref doesn't see it one two three new champs so it's a great run for demolition 478 days record breaking but the brain busters are the new tag champs let's move on to the next title change and that is on superstars october 9th the demolition again versus the brain busters the new champs now i couldn't find this one on the WWE network but it is on youtube so it's a bookmark yeah. if you'd like to watch this on youtube joey morella is refing again so you know it's going to be it's going to be wild but it's going to be straight down the middle and for me this is just a brilliant match it's five it's only five minutes and 54 seconds but it's pure genius one thing i spotted niall tully blanchard in the ring he's quite like kyle o'reilly as well in his in his selling. He moves yeah yeah and like joe he kind of has that um he hunches over a bit like kyle o'reilly does doesn't he he's great uh, yeah and he throws himself around and it, it's kind of it's it's comical over the top stuff selling but it's not silly you know he doesn't go all the way where it becomes a bit of a joke yeah it's 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 kind of i suppose very similar to how rick flair used to sell at the same time there's something comedic to seeing the heel guy selling like that yeah it's not like totally unrealistic this might like i don't ever remember seeing tolly blanchard wrestle before he is awesome he is he is really really good like he's the star of this match like and aaron anderson is so good like aaron is great but tolly was just i could like my mind was blown how good he was yeah like if there's one guy from this entire podcast if there's one guy that i would want to watch more of afterwards it's tolly because aside from his four his four horsemen stuff I don't think I have enough insight on Tully. You know, he's got a huge reputation, but he's obviously, yeah. he sometimes gets lost in the field when I suppose you're in a stable with the likes of Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson. But uh, un- yeah, un- unbelievable. Uh, the match itself, so Aaron hits a huge spine buster as he's uh, renowned for. Such a good spine buster. But he could probably win every match, Niall, if he went for a pin straight after the spine buster. But he does that delayed, <laughs> yeah. that delayed crowd reaction. And then you think <laughs> yeah. he's going to get up. But then he pins him like five seconds later for some reason. Uh, but look, I, I mentioned earlier it's going to be down the middle. Joey Morella is refing, but I'd like to call myself up on that. Joey Morella is an idiot referee <laughs> he lets demolition do the exact same thing he, dis- he disqualified them for in the last july uh, match when they lost the titles but this time he lets them pin them so the demolition come in they do the exact same double team move joey lets them pin him new champs demolition but a 10 out of 10 match short and sweet classic 80s wrestling yeah like if you're going to watch atten from this podcast it's it's the Brain Busters demolition matches. For me, while I agree with you that uh, this is probably the best match, it obviously is very short. So I kind of preferred the previous one. I thought there was a little bit more psychology in it, more to get my teeth into. I enjoyed it a little bit more. Whereas like this, as you said, it's a genius match. Five minutes, 54 seconds just obviously flies by brilliant stuff it's probably a caveat on that is that when you're watching 14 tag wrestling matches from the late 80s early 90s when you see the one that's only five minutes long it kind of creates extra kudos <laughs> it's true as well because i couldn't find it and I, I watched this one out of sync 
Okay. So I was after watching a few not so great matches. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd watched the original Brand Busters demolition match. Then I, I watched a few more in between. Then I came back and watched this one. I was like, oh, perfect timing. I really needed this to get me going again. Okay, fast forward a couple of months. We're on Superstars. It's a December 13th episode, 1989. And it's a tag title match between the Demolition and the Colossus Connection. Niall, who are the Colossus Connection? The Colossus Connection, again, part of uh, Bobby Heenan's Heenan family. We've got Haku and Andre the Giant, two absolute behemoth men. Yeah, so they're managed by Bobby, as you said. And I suppose what's kind of interesting is this match is all set up for a rematch. Uh, it was very shocking at the time because while Andre was near the end of his career, barely able to move, um, <clears throat> putting him into a tag match with Haku meant that Haku could do all the work, kind of yeah. stay stay wise and protect Andre at the same time. But the shocker of this yeah, just- is is that Demolition Axe gets absolutely destroyed. And he's supposed to be a big man, unstoppable. And I have never, ever seen the champions handled like this, McMahon. Virtually no offense by Demolition on the outset of this match. Look at that. Series of shoulder blocks by the 500 and some odd pound giant. For Ambahaku. And Axe has been pummeled. He's been Yeah, I like this is it's kind of like in some ways a glorified squash match, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Like, so it really went big on Haku and Andre. Now, Andre didn't do a whole lot, as you said, and, and he wouldn't do a whole lot at this stage of his career. But um, Haku, like, looked like a monster here as well. Yeah, I suppose it, the shocker was set up so that they could have a, a big comeback rematch down the line at WrestleMania. But, you know, you're doing it in December, so you're a good three months away from Mania. And by pummeling Axe, it does take a lot away from his mystique when he's getting killed so badly. In any case, Colossus Connection win this very, very easily. And it sets up then our next match, which again is a demolition versus the new champs, Colossus Connection. We're talking Mania 6, and it runs 9 minutes and 30 seconds. Poor match, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, on, at, at this stage, Andre could do literally nothing. Like Essentially, Andre couldn't do a thing. Like He, he could barely get in and out of the ropes. Um, from the outside to the inside, it was kind of hard to watch at times. And because of that, I just felt a lot of the timing was off. Haku was having to do 99.9% of the, the work for the tag team. Yeah, so just before the match kicks off, Mean Gene is in the back and he's talking to Bobby Heenan and he calls the Colossus connection, the Colostomy connection. <laughs> <laughs> and Heenan asks him to repeat it, but he says, he, he's adamant he said Colossus connection the first time. But I listened back, Mean Gene. I listened back. You said Colostomy connection. We all heard it. Look, it it's, he most certainly did. Yeah. Ridiculous, but it's, it, it is a bit of fun. Haku in the interview actually had a face on him like he was just told before they were going out that they were losing the tag titles. Or maybe he was told that Andre wouldn't be tagging in on this because of his, well, obviously because of his condition. But if you notice now in this match, Andre never enters. Haku does the entire match on his own. 
Yeah, like he, he threatens to get through the rope a few times to do something and even that looked like, you know, he, he does end up in the ring at one stage, but... Um, Only to end up tied, tied in, <laughs> into the ropes like he always does. The, the classic Andrew spot, he gets tied in the ropes. Yeah. Um, but that was literally all he did and obviously, you know, you could see he was struggling movement-wise um, and it was hard to watch because, you know, Andrew is such a legend. Like uh, It was kind of sad to see him in this condition at the end. Yeah, they didn't show it, but interestingly, this is obviously tag title match, so I'll give a shout-out here that world uh, and future tag team champions Edge and Christian were in attendance. So maybe mm. uh, maybe Big Andre getting tied up in the ropes influenced them to go on to have a yeah. fantastic tag team wrestling career. Edge has the most uh, tag team titles of anyone in WWE history, I believe, on 12. There you go. There's an exclusive here. Um, but anyway, Axe would... <laughs> Axe, uh, maybe this is what they were building towards also with him getting jobbed out three months earlier, but he'd kind of fall back into a managerial role with the demolition because they've won their tag titles back now. Uh, they'd return as kind of heels gradually over the next few months, but they would also add a third member to their group, and that is Crush. So they're now a trio. Yeah, and not Surfer Crush that most of you will remember. This is Gimp Crush. <laughs> Yeah, full face paint masks and the gimp outfit and the assless chaps when they come out and the big head masks. <laughs> it still looked cool though, didn't it? It's, <laughs> That's it's crazy thing. So next tag title change, we're fast forwarding to SummerSlam 1990. The Demolition are still the champs. Uh, they've been using the, the Freebirds rule. Any two of the three members can fight at any given time. Uh, they're up against the Heart Foundation and this is scheduled for two out of three falls out also. Three. Uh, pre-match interview between Brett and Anvil kind of cartoony and comical too but you can sense can you sense what's happening here that we're gone into the new era of WWF where it's more cartoony character based wrestling Heart Foundation it must have been a little disconcerting not to know until this very moment which two members of Demolition you were going to face for the tag team title but gentlemen <laughs> it appears that the pieces of the puzzle have finally fallen into place I must admit it's been a little confusing but I thought all along it was going to be the two original and most experienced members of Demolition, Axe and Smash. What about you, Apple? What do you think? Think? <laughs> they don't pay me to think. They pay me to be tough like an anvil. Hence the name, right? Right? <laughs> it never mattered. Yeah, 100%. Uh, like, again, you know, Brett did some absolutely great promos later in his career. And we spoke on the IC title episode about it. His promo's not been the best, but I thought this one was particularly rubbish. Yeah, so this is a decent back and forth. Uh, obviously, it's a, a schedule for a two out of three <clears throat> falls, uh, yeah. but a decent back and forth. Demolition win the first fall. Um, what do you think of the start, or what did you think of the, the match as a whole? Crush is very green. I know like Smash and Axe aren't like the best workers in the world, but they were very good at certain things. Uh, and and I actually thought that Smash worked very well with Anvil in this match. I thought Crush was fairly green in terms of timing and stuff. He just looked like he wasn't on the level of the other three. And obviously nobody in the ring looked like they were on the level of Bret Hart. This whole thing was carried by Bret, really, wasn't it? His selling is just so realistic and good. He looks like everything is a fight and a struggle. He's just, yeah. like, he's the best, like, he is yeah. the excellence of execution. 
Yeah, he totally carries this match. Um, I suppose the the fact that the Demolition have gone from being a face team back to a heel team suggests that their star is fading somewhat and that the fans were beginning to turn on them when they were faces. But anyway, the, the second fall is won by the Hart Foundation. Axe runs down, hides under the ring. So there's some kind of shenanigans going on here. And Axe sneaks in as a fresh man. So he replaces Smash. He sneaks in, Smash hides under the ring. And he uh, starts to dominate. Smash then comes back in. <laughs> like his face paint is perfectly intact. Yeah. Uh, Smashes was like almost fully faded. Smash was like sweating and panting, and there's not a drop of sweat on Axe's body. It was like poor Earl Hebner got set up there, didn't he? Earl should have spotted something here. Earl now wasn't at his best. And even I think yeah. uh, I think Vince or whoever's on commentary are saying the same thing that Earl is clearly very tired. He's lost a run of himself here. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're burying poor Earl, but it was probably a little bit of bad booking. Uh, but who comes out then at the end, uh, Niall? This was great. Uh, Legion of Doom come out to kind of reverse the shenanigans. Uh, they're not going to let the heel demolition team cheat, uh, cheat the Heart Foundation out of the, out of titles. And as you said to me in a message during the week, um, Legion of Doom versus Demolition was a super match that didn't need the tag team titles. Yeah, so the Heart Foundation become the champs. Now it didn't really start them off on the most the most positive like they weren't they weren't built as a strong team here because of the way the shenanigans happened uh yeah but but they are the champs nonetheless yeah and like it's that was great and obviously a lot of the focus is on the legion of doom versus demolition going forward as a, a non-title program but like you know that's a big passing of the torch yeah. in wwe terms from demolition to legion of doom as who's going to be the dominant tag team in the company uh, but still, like I think they had to do the axe shenanigans uh, under the ring and coming in as the fresh man in order to give the kind of the baby faces a reason to win by help with Legion of Doom. Mm. You know, it was, it was like it was trying to protect the Hard Foundation and set up the non-title program. And I suppose in some ways it was just a bit of a clunky finish to what was actually a pretty decent match. Yeah, and I, I guess adding to that, the late 80s is often described as the peak of tag team wrestling and, you know, things start, the wheels start to fall off a little bit from here. And you, you can sense that the WWF may themselves have realized that because when they are obviously moving forward with the demolition and LOD and field tag titles uh, don't aren't needed on either team to make that program work, they also then need to start building other teams. And by putting the titles in yeah. the Heart Foundation, you know, you're looking around, you're wondering, who, who else is worthy of the tag titles? And it kind of leads us nicely into what happened next. And that's in uh, October 30. So uh, the following month, they're up against the Rockers. And this is a taped match that never airs. And uh, the Rockers were scheduled to win the tag titles here. Again, in a schedule for two out of three falls match. Um, yeah, crazy story, Kieran. Like, you know, the Rockers won the titles, celebrated with the titles. I believe they did a mag- magazine shoot with the titles. And uh, Vince just changed his mind, but um, you had serious issues with the match, which in some ways obviously is kind of uh, out, what happened was totally out of the uh, performer's control. But you're thinking with Brett, Anvil, 
Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels in a 1990 tag match that this could be awesome. Yeah, the top rope broke very early into the match. And uh, as you may know, the Rockers are a high-flying team and I'm sure a lot of the spots were to, uh, to fall in line with the fact that the Rockers are going to be jumping around the place and off the top rope. So it ended up being an incredibly poor match. Uh, all of the four competitors would admit that down the line in, in a good few interviews. But the back and forth nature was gone and it's a long two out of three falls match without a top rope. So you can imagine how jarring it was the rockers would still win it but it was a bad bad match vince would call the rockers into his office later that week just a few days before it was supposed to air on tv and he'd he'd um, revealed to them that he wasn't going to air the match and that the heart foundation were therefore still the champs and the rockers yeah. may, may think that's fine we'll probably get our chance again in a few weeks never happened because instead the heart foundation would go into or would commence their program uh, for wrestlemania 7 and that would be when they would face the Nasty Boys. But uh, kind of a shame for the Rockers. You know, they, they, they were a very popular team, but never won the tag titles. Yeah, it's like one of those kind of weird pieces of trivia that they, you know, such a popular team that spawned, could be one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, um, didn't have their, their run with the tag team titles. And when in fact they kind of did, but just never officially recognized and wasn't there on TV, so it didn't happen. All right, we'll move on then. So we're all the way up to WrestleMania 7, 1991. It's the Hart Foundation against the Nasty Boys. There's a pre-match interview here with Mean Gene and Jimmy Hart, and the Nasty Boys sags says he's going to put an end to the pink and the stink. (laughs) (laughs) I actually remember that clearly from watching it as a kid. (laughs) Uh, Then they cut across to Brett, and Brett says... The bottom, you're at the bottom of the barrel, and that's exactly where you're gonna stay. Because the Heart Foundation, we don't think you're nasty, we think you're scum. And when you step in the ring with the Heart Foundation, you gotta have heart, and that's exactly what you don't have to take the World Wrestling Federation tag team belt from the Heart Foundation. <laughs> tag team championship belt is at hand. Just useless uh, promo from Brad there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. The Nasty Boys make their entrance with the Mount of the South, Jimmy Hart. And I always loved the Nasty Boys look and entrance growing up. It kind of reminded me of early video game characters. Um, Mm. The the theme song was cool too. And I guess it was kind of a mix of, you know, the kind of old boss characters from the likes of the Streets of Rage and maybe Bebop and Rocksteady from the Turtles thrown in. Yeah, and like they kind of embodied for me what uh, my kind of uh, seven or eight year old mind assumed New York would look like <laughs> uh, with the kind of uh, neon spray paint look. Uh, I loved it, like, great. Just I, my favorite thing about this whole period is like the what would you say, the uniformity of the tag teams. Every tag team was a tag team in like image, in team, mm. in like just it, it was such pure tag teams that we got to watch this week. Yeah, the match itself, um, or well, before the match itself, I don't know if you noticed it through a shot of Macaulay Culkin in the crowd, uh, who happens yeah. to still be a big wrestling fan today. But it's interesting, this Did is you when... you hear the commentary for that? You didn't recognize him first. I think it was uh, Jesse the Body was like, ah, this kid in the crowd is enjoying himself. And then uh, Vince is like, obviously realizes that Jesse is like, didn't know who Macaulay Culkin was. So yeah. he throws in a... He wouldn't like to be left home alone with the nasty boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Reference into it. I had a good little chuckle off it. Yeah, there was too long a delay, wasn't there, between the two lines? Oh my God, it took like 45 seconds nearly, I'd say. <laughs> uh, but anyway, did you notice that the crowd has changed significantly here now from last WrestleMania to this WrestleMania? And now the front Massively, row, yeah. just all kids in the front row. So again, Vince's big changes to wrestling have uh, 
have taken its grip. Did you notice something as well, actually? The previous SummerSlam um, that we watched where the Hart Foundation won the titles, there was straight after the match, there was an advertisement for WrestleMania 7. And uh, they were saying it was going to be in front of 70,000 fans in some re- arena in LA. But when we actually get to WrestleMania 7, it's in front of like 12,000 fans in, in um, an indoor place. I thought mm. that was quite interesting. You know, that's the kind of, a lot of people talk about why uh, Vince blamed it on George Bush Sr.'s uh, Iraq war at the time. Uh, and that there was um, speculation that, the Iraqis might attack WrestleMania. Um, but when in fact, I think it was just down to very poor ticket sales. So we're here in front of about 12,000 fans instead of the 60 or 70,000. But I found it interesting that that advertisement wasn't removed from the network. Yeah, that is interesting. The match itself, it's not pretty, Niall. Um, it, is no. pretty, it is pretty solid for the first few minutes because I guess they're all pretty experienced workers. But it ends up into a lot of rest holes and... Brett is constantly worn down and, you know, he's in a rest hole in the middle of the ring and they're all teasing this hot tag for Anvil. How many times have we seen this type of match? Um, I feel like early 90s, just so patterned looking back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're all the same. And I I just think you need really, really good workers to pull off that type of match to to be able to extract trauma from the rest holes. And like the Nasty Boys are decent workers, like they're decent, but they're not of the level that you actually feel like the hot tag then didn't have the weight that it should have had when Brett finally got to Anvil. Yeah. So the Nasties are, I guess, recovering this match because there's a title change. The Nasties win it after the Hearts hit the heart attack. And despite having hit their move, the heart attack 1000 times before on this occasion, Earl Hebner takes great exception to the double team in the ring. Um, which allows for a distraction. The Nasty Boys hitting Anvil with Jimmy Hart's biker helmet. So one, two, three. The Nasty Boys, they're the new tag champs. Brett worked this entire match for the other three. Uh, you know, I know they said they're all very experienced and it started somewhat solid, but the rest was all Brett. Uh, and yeah. I guess allowing the Nasty Boys to win would allow Brett to go solo and win the IC belt, which we covered in a previous episode. Yeah, uh, again, like just more affirmation of how great Bret Hart is. I've said it already in this episode. We did a full episode on how great Bret Hart is. But if you need any other confirmation, this match is up there as well. He was great. Uh, nasty boys, just they're a little bit raw or something, rough around the edges. Like they're, I thought, you know, they're great interacting with the crowd and stuff, but their in-ring, in-ring stuff is is probably just maybe slightly above average. Yeah. So fast forward through the entire summer and we're up to SummerSlam 1991. Nasty Boys are the tag champs and they are fighting the Legion of of Doom in a no disqualifications match. Uh, A couple of pre-match interviews, not worth talking about, just the usual waffly, intense, shouty stuff you'd expect from this era. The match itself, Nasty's LOD, slow brawl, slow and sluggish, runs eight minutes. Nothing very special about this, Niall. What do you think? Yeah, like, and... The whole no DQ thing was so confusing as well because the heels are trying to distract the ref so yeah. they can do things. It doesn't matter because you can't get disqualified. And why wasn't everyone in the ring just pummeling each other in like a kind of a tornado tag match? Why are they waiting to tag in? And I just I'm te- so confused. I'll tell you why. It's because they worked the exact same match 
uh, that they worked against the Heart Foundations before. So similar to what happened in the last match, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hawks getting worked over the entire match, trying to get a hot tag on Animal. So it's the kind of roles reversing. So it's very similar to what happened in the last match with Anvil and the Heart Foundation, except nobody in this match can work at match quite like Bret Hart can. So it kind of ends up just being just doesn't work you know do it's you awful re- yeah do you really want to see hawk in as the kind of the dan baby the face in peril like yeah. the damsel in distress yeah. yeah no you don't like when you when you think of the legion of doom you just want them to come out and smash a few guys to bits and then pin them and walk away uh obviously you know it's a, a big pay-per-view match there's um, a, there is a night so they're not going to do that but there is a nice spot with uh, Jimmy Hart's helmet on the outside where he kind of tr- yeah, kind of gets thrown up in the air from a bump and it's caught perfectly and uh, leads to a nice smash over the head. Uh, also then goes to a doomsday device. Uh, we haven't covered a doomsday device move before, Niall. One of the more difficult moves you can take in wrestling because literally nobody has control over it. Yeah, terrifying, terrifying. You have to do a, a backflip like and land on your face. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're just landing on the back of your neck. If you yeah. don't get the full rotation on that backflip, you're in big, big trouble. Um, but yeah, like, because you texted me earlier in the week about about the moves and like about having no control, and I never really thought about it. Um, and maybe you know, when you're a kid, you don't see the danger in certain wrestling moves or whatever. But like, or when we were kids watching the Attitude Era, the headshots didn't really kind of mean that to us. Resonates, but now when you look yeah. back, yeah, resonate, yeah. But now when you look back and you see those Attitude Era headshots, you're kind of terrified. I was terrified watching, um, was it, I think Nobbs took the... Uh, Doomsday Device. Took, took the Doomsday Device. And he's a big man. I was terrified. New champs, Legion of Doom. The fans pop wildly, despite it being... Wildly, wild pop, went mm. nuts. So, yeah, it was a pretty average match, but the LOD were very yeah. over at this time. Fast forward, Niles. So we're going to get to the kind of confusing territory now as we uh, draw these uh, title changes to an end. We're fast forwarding to February 92, and it's the Legion mm-hmm. of Doom versus Money Incorporated, which is IRS and the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. But we're at a house show, and I know we covered what a house show was earlier in the episode, but it means we've no footage here. And this, mm-hmm. ti- this title win was very unusual for professional wrestling as Money, <clears throat> Money Inc. had not even yet debuted on WF television programming. So they weren't even a team combined together. In addition, the decision to give the championship belts to Money Inc. was made in a hurry as LOD's Hawk had just failed a drug test. So the wrestlers were unaware until that night that the tag title would change hands and Money Inc.'s win was not immediately acknowledged on television as WF programming was taped weeks in advance. But really unusual situation here. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of is par for the course for what we see for a lot of 92 and 93. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether, obviously, this one had the caveat of Hawk failing the drug test. So there was reasoning behind this one, uh, like very clear reasoning that, you know, they needed to get the titles off them quickly, as as you explained earlier. Mm. But yeah, very strange uh, kind of turn of events uh, with Money Inc. showing up on, I believe superstars a few weeks later with the title uh, and kind of explaining it away explanation. Yeah. Yeah. But they did, they did add a bit of storyline to it. Uh, Jimmy Hart just been given a tag team title opportunity. Jimmy, the referee, or sorry, Jimmy, the manager of the, mm. uh, of the natural disasters at the time, but he was bribed by the million dollar man uh, to give the tag titles to a uh, tag title shot to money Inc. instead. So this led to the natural disasters 
typhoon and earthquake firing Jimmy Hart and turning Babyface uh, in in re- in reaction to it, and it would lead us then to the Natural Disasters versus Money Inc. having um, having a match at WrestleMania Eight, which we won't talk about because there was no title change. Money Inc. would retain. Yeah. But it would then lead the count out. I actually watched it by accident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any good? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it would lead us up. Like, to... we, we both saw the second match. And let me just tell you this: it was exactly the same. Okay. Well, we saw the third match because this t- the next. Sorry, the third match. Correct. Yeah. So we're moving forward to July seventh, <clears throat> ninety two, and unfortunately, this is another house show title change. Oh, no, I can hear the Richter scale stomping right now. I can see the needle going. Elbow drop. It should be all one, two, three. It's over. They won it. They won it. WWF Tag Team Champions and Natural Disasters. And there's a post-match interview where, probably taped later, where Earthquake and Typhoon announced that they'd be keeping this belt for a very long, long time. Um, No. (laughs) Well, they did. They kept them until October 31st, but not. It was about for four months, yeah. Yeah, four months. So we're up to October 31st here. Of course, we're talking about Natural Disasters versus Money Inc. And the only reason we're talking about it is that there is another title change. So this is on Wrestling Challenge. Natural Disasters are going in as champion. And um, there's a cool moment where the Nasties run down ahead of the match, the Nasty Boys. And Jimmy Hart manages both teams. The Nasty Boys are not happy that the title shot has gone to Money Inc. again. And IRS pays them off in actual US dollars. The nasties yeah. take the money, pocket it, and then beat the crap out of Money Inc. anyway to turn face. Really cool. Yeah, I thought this was great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Very weird uh, considering how this match goes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the heel team winning despite getting jumped before the match. But I suppose there was other shenanigans at play here that would, um, that would come into play to explain that off later in the match. Yeah, so the tag champs arrived, that being the natural disasters. And this is actually the first time we've seen them in a tag title match, despite it being their third uh, attempt with all the house shows. IRS is, in, is injured from the attack by uh, the nasty boys. Ted DiBiase is not in good shape either. IRS and DiBiase, great, great workers. I know DiBiase gets a lot of credit, but IRS is very underrated, isn't he? Oh, yeah, very underrated. Just extremely solid worker, great storyteller as well. Uh, but honestly, cause I, with... That and the, the WrestleMania match that I accidentally watched. Uh, how good is Zerquick? Yeah, John Tenta, he's great. He had, he had a great run in Japan as well. Um, yeah, he, big he, he, uh, foreign heel, he was great. Yeah, he's very good. He's very good. Uh, he was probably underrated. I'd say he could have done more in the WWF, but... Definitely, yeah. I've well, seen him in these matches anyway. I didn't, you know, when you're watching as a kid, you're not really watching who's a good worker and who isn't a good worker. You're just kind of being sold what they tell you, but... Looking back on him, I thought he was just, he was excellent. There's a great uh, YouTube clip of John Tenta against somebody in one of the uh, New Japan or Japanese wrestling matches where the guy he's fighting uh, decides not to sell whatsoever for John Tenta. And it ends up, it ends up being a shoot match. And a shoot match for people who don't know means that it is legitimately going down in the ring right now. Uh, it's well worth YouTubing. If you just type in uh, John Tenta, who is, plays Earthquake, a uh, shoot match, and you'll watch uh, poor John having to defend himself uh, real, really against this guy in the ring. Very, very sad to watch because John Tenta was supposedly a lovely man. Um, yeah, heard, only nice things you hear about John Tenta. Mm. 
Poor and, and all the Japanese guys are like trained in, as legit fighters as well. They're, back in those times, they weren't allowed to wrestle uh, unless they were able to like handle themselves in legit fights also, which, uh, you know, for American wrestlers going over, like those, the American wrestlers in, they got big, strong, tough guys for most of them, but they weren't trained to fight. No, no. Poor Typhoon is in this as well. He's not bad, but of course he'll go down in history for one of the more hilarious debuts of all time, and that being the Shockmaster. So, uh, <laughs> again, I don't mean to keep sending people to YouTube, but any younger listeners, you need to watch the Shockmaster debut in WCW. It is one of the most comical things, not just in wrestling, but in, in live TV of all time. Yeah. If you watch one thing this week, watch Tully Blanchard. If you watch two, watch Tully Blanchard and the Shockmaster. Do yourself it, a favor. And if you watch three, throw in John <clears throat> Tenta in that shoot match on YouTube against the Japanese dude. Um, anyway, the, Very little tag team wrestling in our recommendations <laughs> for this week. Uh, Head Shrinkers come out next uh, towards the end of this match with the Natural Disasters and Money Inc. And they distract the Natural Disasters. They're a scary, scary team when I was a kid. They're still scary now. Uh, Earthquake yeah. hit, hits his head on the railing. DiBiase gets the Million Dollar Dream locked on Earthquake. It's a pretty weird, clean finish for the heel team, despite uh, yeah. them, them getting bed up early on. And I think it actually made Natural Disasters look very poor here. Yeah, it did totally. It like very massively weakened them as a tag team. <clears throat> I suppose we're taking them out of the, the title picture. So if you're going to take them out of it, you may as well take them out of it the way you did. Um, just I found the end to be very dragged out. I suppose in some ways they were trying to make Earthquake look like he was like fighting with everything he had uh, with constant sleeper holes and working the head. And then eventually he succumbs to the a million dollar dream but as you said like with the shenanigans that took place in the match mm. it just made natural disasters look incredibly weak he's down he's down for good now he's on both knees he's not gonna get up never saw earthquake short this guy's tough but wait a minute those eyes they're closed they're shut he's out referee lets the arm drop twice I know one more time and it's over so Money Inc. would now hold the titles for 244 days and it would lead them to June 14th, 1993, where they would fight Scott and Rick Steiner, the Steiner brothers. Unfortunately, this is another house show, so no footage, Niall. And, um, for me, this is probably the end of the golden era of tag wrestling. I know people talk about the late 80s. I throw in a couple of years of the 90s as well, but this is definitely, we're finished with tag team wrestling now. And um, that's because they're just, they're just afterthoughts at this stage. And there's no yeah. bigger example than this. No, no, you almost got it. No, no, that was in Rockford. Well, just Kevin, just keep quiet and listen and keep your pants on and I'll explain it so that even you can understand. I, I gotta go. Goodbye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Update. I'm Gorilla Monsoon, and the tag team situation here in the WWF is just unbelievable. See these two guys, Money Inc.? They're out. It all happened last Monday night is when it all began in Columbus, Ohio, when the Steiner brothers defeated Money Incorporated for the belts. But listen to this, folks. Money Incorporated, very smart upstairs where the gray matter is concerned. They had a return clause in their contract so that on Wednesday in Rockford, Illinois, 
Under very suspicious circumstances, Money Incorporated got their tag team belts back. Then the saga continues three nights later in the Gateway City with a big arch. St. Louis, Missouri, Steiner Brothers did it again. They defeated Money Incorporated and became an unprecedented two-time in one week holder of the WWF tag team belts. Imagine that. Yeah, like just meaningless swaps on, on house shows. Um, I suppose to highlight the predictable, like unpredictability of of what was going on, but at the same time, you know, it kind of devalues the titles to a certain degree, in my opinion. Yeah, and I like the Steiners. Don't get me wrong; I think they mixed the old, They're awesome. Yeah, old and new school very, very well. They had a, they had a, they had a great look. Um, yeah, but great the, move set as well. They're now the tag champs, so we're going to fast forward here to October ninety three, uh, Monday Night Raw. And it is the Steiners versus the Quebecers. And it's going to be under Quebec rules. So that means that DQs and countouts can change a title. I suppose it's a great way for trying to get the titles off somebody if you want to protect them. It's the disqualification that cost the Steiners the match in the end is so ludicrous anyway. It's like, so they had all these like absurd rules in the match. Mm. That someone said to me it was like watching um, a 2000 WCW with just like complete overbooking. And like you weren't allowed to do pile drivers. You weren't allowed to throw guys over the top rope. If you did that, you'd be disqualified. Yeah. Yeah. Early in the match, uh, <laughs> Rick Steiner goes for a pile driver, yeah. and Scotty Steiner jumps in and says, "No, no, no, no! You'd be disqualified." Whatever. Rick Steiner still jumps off the top rope anyway, despite them telling us several times that you're not allowed to do that. He still does. Right it. in front of Earl Hebner again. Yeah, so it's a very, 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 very sloppy match. Really disjointed. I don't think the teams worked well together at all. No, um, and I don't think the Steiners fully understood the rules they were working on either. No, but go on, tell me how the match ended. So uh, Johnny Polo was the showed up like as the Quebecers' new manager with his name written on the back of his shirt, and he was there with a hockey stick. So uh, shenanigans ensue. The hockey stick ends up in the ring. Scott Steiner in front of the referee just absolutely beats the crap out of PCO with the um, with the hockey stick, gets disqualified, loses the titles. Yeah, just like absurd stuff. How crazy is it that one of the Quebecers Niall is still wrestling today and maybe only peaking now as uh, PCO in Ring of Honor? It's it's absolutely insane. Uh, I believe he is he's well into he's in, he's in his fifties. Very recent world champion in 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 Ring of Honor recently in his fifties. So it's it's absolutely mad. That's that's kind of the end of our tag title change because you know the tag titles themselves become less important over the next few years as we kind of see a lot of the teams thrown together. So instead of these really nice packaged combinations you'd get Marty Jannetty and the 123 kid or you get the 123 yeah. kid and Bob Holly or you get Owen Hart and Yokozuna and then that led into the era of smoking guns and the body Donnas and the Godwins which for me was not interesting whatsoever no uh, rubbish but that yeah. was like WWF in the mid 90s was just trash anyway 95 96 for me was very very bad but, um, but, and but that I, summed up in the tag team division but for tag teams, it was worse if you're in WCW because over there, Eric Bischoff believed that paying four guys to be in one ring at one time mm. made no sense when you could just pay two guys for a singles match. So he singles, act- I know. Yeah. And like it was nuts that he got Hall and Nash and he had the Steiner brothers. Like WCW in mid-90s had some Harlem great Heat. tag teams. But Harlem Heat, yeah. yeah. But like Bischoff just was basically anti-tag wrestling. 
well, I think they had four. They had about four tag teams at any given time. You know, there was never this. There was never a a huge yeah, a full uh, division. Yeah, of course, the tag team uh, division in the WF would pick back up in the late nineties, and you get the teams like the Acolytes, the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, Too Cool, the New Age Outlaws. We 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 kind of watched a very special era of tag team wrestling this week, which highlighted for me the importance of, as you put it, like that packaging of a tag team. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we've seen that period of 89 to 93, and then you've got that kind of late 98, early 99, up to about 2001 or two. I would pick the Edge, Christian, Dudley's, Hardy era as my favorite um, ever tag team wrestling era. Would you, throw, um, would you throw it ahead of the modern era? Because obviously we have the well, renaissance. Yeah, I, I, just, I think we're in the middle of something really special now. Yeah. And if you ask me that question in a couple of years' time, I suspect I will pick the modern era because I think what we, we've had since, I suppose, well, sometime around 2015, 2016, maybe for me, even though, and this is kind of WWE-centric, uh, the DIY revival matches got me back into tag wrestling. Yeah. And, and from I- there, then, I, you know, I, we found the Young Bucks and so on. Um, but you look at the tag team tag teams that are in AEW at the moment, they're on, I, I believe to be on the cusp of something similar or even better than those two other eras, the WWE early 90s, late 90s that we spoke about. Yeah, the potential is huge. I guess like the on the indie scene, we had the Briscoes, the Young Bucks and the War Raiders and that kind of was, was nicely complemented by an NXT. Like you said, you had the Revival and DIY, you had American Alpha having American absolute Alpha, cla- yeah. Yeah, classics. They it did was, it so well that they were even able to get um, uh, Authors of Pain and had a brilliant tag run in mm. NXT despite them being nowhere near the workers as the guys we just mentioned. But it, they still were able to fit into that division and it have great matches. And this led to an entire wrestling company, AEW, being formed with a mantra to promote tag team wrestling. So tag team wrestling has never been brighter because you've got the producers of WWF's main rival company, AEW, an actual tag team who care about tag team wrestling. So yeah, um, so yeah it's great. Look, future is good. Uh, what did you think about this week's research, Niall? Did you enjoy any final thoughts? I did. Like, you know, for me, no great matches or anything, but it wasn't really about that. This was just great character stuff. And to see that kind of uniformity of tag team, great. is like a real reminder of what a tag team division can be if it builds depth and if it focuses on having interesting characters. Yeah, like the work wasn't fantastic or by any stretch of the imagination, we did get to watch Tully and Aaron, probably, in my opinion, now right up there with the best tag teams of all time. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Express, Tully and Aaron, um, Young Bucks, just brilliant, I, you know? I think it was the depth of the of the division is really what made it so appealing. You know, we didn't even yeah. get into the fact that you have the head shrinkers, you have the, the likes of the bushwhackers, you know, I know they're not going to win a tag title, but they're there and their characters and the fans yeah. pop when they see them. Let's hear from Luke and Butch. What's that cousin's wife in there on the WWF? So, people so, still remember the Bushwhackers to this day. 
we're yeah. talking 20, 25 years on and, and the Bushwhackers are very well remembered. You know, that's a, a sign of how good and prominent that division was in the early 90s, late yeah. 80s. The high, you had high energy, Owen Hart and Coco Beware. Call it high energy, it's because we're moving, we're grooving and we're always going to the top. The Birdman and the Rocket, you want a piece of high energy? Come and find us. Tell them about a bird. High energy! You had the Mega Maniacs, awesome. you had uh, Hulk teaming with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Like were, the big stars were were packaging themselves as tag teams. So like it was it was yeah. big, it was over. Uh, and you know, that's kind of harkens back to today with Omega and Page, you know? Mm. Um, like, yeah, they're both big single stars, but they've been in the same faction for several years now. And they do package themselves as a tag team with their kind of specialized tag moves and stuff. And, and that does kind of remind me of every now and again, like Hogan and, and Beefcake, where two single stars would enter in and package themselves as a tag team. You don't really see that in, in WWE in many years, really. Niall, I think we've hit our 60-minute time limit, our TV time remaining. Uh, time thanks for, draw for eight, eight weeks in a row, you're on. Once again, unbelievable. Um, <laughs> great episode, though. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed that. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, you too, Kieran. Goodbye. Try to run, but you can never run.